0: We need Julian Assange. One thing I want to say to you today is: it is not only that he is the victim of torture; it is not only that his life is at stake; it is not only that we want to save him from a dreadful injustice. We also want to save him because the world needs Julian Assange as a symbol and fighter for liberty. In his life.
1: Welcome uh, to uh, Random Critical Live on the Fly, Assange Countdown to Freedom. This is our eighth episode this year. Uh, at the top, you heard the voice of Craig Murray, that powerful speech that he gave at St. Francis, uh, Francis Church in uh, London. Uh, you ought to see the whole speech. You can go and find it. Uh, it was on November 30th. It is one powerful speech. But this is Craig all the time. Craig has, has been one of the most effective, one of the most eloquent, and uh, ubiquitous spokespersons for uh, Julian Assange. And I must tell you, before we even do our preamble, I usually do a preamble here, uh, we actually have Craig Murray on the line right now. So before we do all of that, let's just go to Edinburgh and talk with uh, Craig Murray. Craig Murray, who is an author. Craig Murray is the uh, former uh, UK uh, ambassador to Uzbekistan. He is a high-level diplomat before that in Western Africa. Uh, He has written some wonderful books and uh, he is a broadcaster. His column uh, is like every other day, very prolific. Uh, Craig Murray, thank you for joining us.
0: Thank you very much. Friendly.
1: It's really, uh, really an honor to have you on again, uh, Craig. That speech right there, at the very top, uh, that you gave, and you did it without a microphone. And, and I'm gathering that you extemporized that speech because uh, you were it, later in that speech. You talked about walking around uh, that that church was built in 1819 and dedicated in uh, 1819, dedicated in 1822. And you talked about some of the uh, benefactors of that church, and you incorporated it into your extemporaneous speech, uh, basically likening uh, that look of the church on the outside. Could you go into that as it relates to Assange and the the whole British system?
0: Yeah, my, um I'd be happy to. Um, I, I would say that I, I, I never write speeches. I always... Um, speak on the fly, to, uh, <laughs> <laughs> to, to to use the phrase that you use. Uh, I'm very fond of being on the fly, and I um I, I, I never write a speech in advance. Um, yet, now, I looked down the church, uh, which is the most gorgeous building in London, um, and I saw that if you looked at the monuments to the founders who built the church, um, they were all involved in... The British Empire. They they lived in uh, Barbados, in uh, in Canton, in uh, in Calcutta, and they were. You know, there's no doubt whatsoever. These people would have been involved in the slave trade, would have been involved in the opium trade and the opium wars. That's where the money came from, uh, and that's very typical of London in the way that it looks very beautiful and wonderful, but the. But it's rotten. You know, it's built on slavery. It's built on imperialism. It's built on the proceeds of the drug trade. Uh, the monopoly on opium supplied to China uh, uh, provided uh, the finance behind most of the UK exchequer's wealth for the first part of the 19th century. So uh, the system is is rotten on the inside while having a gorgeous facade, and I was comparing that to the system crushing Julian Assange, and how a state which claims to value test freedom and claims to value freedom of speech is actually virtually killing somebody for exercising freedom of speech and for publishing the truth. And and the. The key thing to remember about Julian Assange is he has never published anything that was not the truth, uh, which makes have a 100% accuracy record, and here we are persecuting someone, possibly to death,
1: yeah.
0: uh, for the simple crime of telling the truth.
1: Well, that was a great analogy, uh, and uh, I, I know you speak off the top of your head because I've seen I've seen you uh, in front of the uh, British, uh, I mean, the uh, Ecuadorian embassy uh, and just, like, winging it, uh, but it looks like it's written. It's so well written because you have such command of the language. It's that uh, Scottish Enlightenment character that you have. Uh, Craig, um, yesterday there was a big development, and it had to do with uh, one of Assange's lawyers saying that uh, they will present uh, evidence, a, a um, unimpeachable witness that will say that Donald Trump sent this guy Rohrbacker over there and offered him a pardon if uh, he would uh, you know, reveal his sources and say that it wasn't Russia. Now the media in this country, particularly the Daily Beast, has contorted that in, in saying, contorted by saying that uh, that Assange uh, they wanted him to uh, cover up, this uh, Russia involvement, which was you know, a complete lie. So they, they misuse that. I wanna play for you this clip from Julian uh, from 2016 when I interviewed him regarding sources. Do you have that clip ready?
2: So we don't talk about sourcing in that way. What we talk about is our publications uh, and they're completely accurate. Uh, and that our publications did not come from a state actor. We haven't said anything else about them, and we probably, probably won't say anything else about them. We have to we have to see how things develop, but probably we won't say anything else but that. Because if we start fleshing in more details, uh, it makes it easier to catch our sources, which we obviously don't want.
1: Well, uh, Craig, uh, you can go ahead and expand on that.
0: Yeah, no, I I think Julian put it very well. Um, What was proposed was the idea that if Julian could offer conclusive evidence that the DNC leaks didn't come from a Russian source, uh, then uh, a pardon might be offered. But of course, you could only—you can't prove a negative. You, you, it's impossible to prove they didn't come from Russia unless you say where they actually came from. And that would involve WikiLeaks giving up its source. And, and once WikiLeaks starts giving up its sources, WikiLeaks is finished because sources would no longer trust WikiLeaks to protect their identities. So, um, uh, you know, this has all been... Uh, distorted very predictably by the pro-Clinton media, the, the this same media that's busy attacking Bernie Sanders at the minute. Uh, this has all been distorted by the pro-Clinton media to say that Russia did give it to WikiLeaks and therefore he couldn't get the pardon. That's not true at all. Uh, Russia certainly was not the source no state was the source of the, of this material. Um, it, it's simply that Julian wasn't prepared to prove that by giving up the actual source.
1: That's right. So uh, definitely, they've been using that, pushing that. Seventeen intelligence agencies have adduced to this story, this fantasy that the Russians did it, and they gave it to Julian, and that's the narrative that they've been pushing for a couple of years. Um, And, you know, Aaron Maté is in here. I got a couple more questions for you, but Aaron wants to maybe – Aaron Maté would like to just ask you a question regarding that. Am I right, Aaron? Well, Craig,
3: let me ask you to comment on how Assange is portrayed in the media. You've been very critical of the way he is characterized this years-long demonization campaign against him, promoted by some of the same outlets that have worked with Assange and published – his disclosures, in the lead up to his extradition hearing, do you see any change at all?
0: Um, it does appear to be a certain change in in, in the atmosphere. Um, a number of journalistic outlets that have been quite involved in demonizing Julian Assange, um, do seem to have realised that actually, the extradition request for Julian and the threat of prosecution of Julian for publishing represents a threat to all journalists. So, for example, I was very surprised and happily surprised that the Guardian newspaper has come out against the extradition quite strongly in an editorial, um, even though they have been, you know, among the leaders of the, uh, certainly in the UK, the the leading Joe Clinton out there that was involved in in, in demonizing Julian. So I do think there has been a change. There's a bit of a change in the tone of the BBC reporting as well. Certainly this side of the Atlantic, there has been a bit of a change because journalists are realizing that it's really not in their own self-interest for people uh, to be... Prosecuted for publishing leaks and for prosecuted for refusing to reveal their sources.
1: All right. Uh, I, now, I, I want to play for you uh, because there t- does seem uh, to be a, a, a shift in the winds here and uh, behind now Julian's back uh, with Nils Melzer and his revelations and his reports and, and uh, this the other day I thought was significant. Maybe you can – this is uh, Jeremy Corbyn and Boris Johnson. It's a quick clip, uh, uh, Craig, and uh, afterwards maybe you can tell us uh, about the import uh, of this uh, exchange.
0: This deep disparity with the U.S. is about to be laid bare when the courts decide whether the WikiLeaks publisher Julian Assange will be extradited to the U.S. on charges of espionage for exposing war crimes, the murder of civilians and large-scale corruption. Will the Prime Minister agree with the parliamentary report that's going to the Council of Europe that this extradition should be opposed and the rights of journalists and whistleblowers upheld for the good of all of us. Prime Minister,
4: Mr. Speaker, I'm not going to comment on any individual case, but it is obvious that the rights of journalists and whistleblowers should be upheld, and this government will clearly continue to do that.
1: All right, Craig, what do you make of uh, Corbyn's uh, speech and the response by uh, Boris Johnson?
0: Well, Jeremy Corbyn um, has been really quite good uh, on defending Julian, even from before the, the general election. He's now, of course, in a position where uh, he's effectively uh, retiring from the leadership of the party quite shortly, so he's able to perhaps be still more more outspoken. Um, but um, uh, John Macdonald as well, he, it, the his shadow chancellor and effectively his number two, today visited Julian in in prison and and gave a very very strong uh, press conference afterwards, calling for Julian's release and for the extradition to be opposed. And. It's notable that the atmospherics in the House of Commons, which is characterized by a very large conservative majority who shout day and day and shout down Corbyn, they weren't loudly shouting down Corbyn at that moment, and neither was Boris Johnson's reply. Although he avoided the question, uh, he didn't directly um, oppose what, what, what Corbyn had had said about Julian Assange. Um, so I, I do think there really is a, a change of view among the British elite about Julian and, and, and what the extradition might mean. Whether that will feed through or how it will feed through into a judicial process, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, certainly, I can't comment on on the US, really, uh, in detail, because it's a different system. In the UK, anybody who believes in the independence of the judiciary in this kind of political case is is nuts. You know, the judiciary are not independent at all, and the the judges will do what the government tells them to do. Um, But what exactly the government is going to end up telling them to do, I'm genuinely uncertain at this moment.
1: Well, there is a hidden hand there. Uh, obviously, and I, I guess the pressure may be coming from the MI five, MI six, uh, uh, politically, or maybe from BAE. Uh, somebody definitely is is behind this, and the ju- judiciary is uh, seems to be just a number of hand puppets. Um, Let me just go to this other uh, development in the last week, which I found this kind of obscure, opaque, um, ambiguous statement by uh, the Queen, uh, Queen Elizabeth II, uh, saying that uh, she wasn't going to get herself involved in political matters. What did you make of that?
0: Well, in one sense, it's quite helpful because – the main line of defense against the extradition, the main initial argument that uh, Julian Assange's defense lawyers are going to be putting are that this is a political matter and therefore is excluded specifically from the UK-US extradition treaty, which has a clause which says that political matters may not be uh, subject to extradition. So um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if the Queen didn't end up being quoted in court. Um, <laughs> On, on the other hand, I don't think that's particularly what was meant. I think it's simply that the uh, uh, the official position is that the British royal family ha- has no involvement whatsoever in any executive capacity and has no involvement in politics. Again, you have to be very, very naive to actually believe that, but that is the official constitutional position.
1: Well, she certainly had, uh, had something to say about Scottish independence four years ago. Uh, And that uh, seemed to have weighed in uh, a lot, right, before your last referendum.
0: Yeah, no, that's very very true. Uh, You know, she was sending out very clear signals then that she was against Scottish independence. And and particularly with, uh, and I don't think... Anybody under the age of fifty gives a hoot what the what, what the Queen thinks about anything politically, but but certainly with a, an awful lot of older uh, uh, voters, uh, that could hold quite a lot of sway. Uh, Well,
1: uh, Craig, I'm just going to ask another question here, and that is the uh, development with um, UC Global. Uh, I was uh, in that uh, embassy three times in 2017. I know you were there. You were there for his birthday, I believe, and maybe several other times. Um, Are are you offended uh, by the fact that you're probably uh, in those videos uh, that uh, David Morales and UC Global uh, on behalf of the CIA made?
0: Yeah, I've been told I'm. I'm very definitely in several of those videos. I. I I'm not sure how many times exactly I. I visited, um, Julian in the embassy. I, I've never given it much serious thought, but um, uh, certainly, at least a dozen times, um, maybe more. I'm not sure. Um, uh, but uh, no, definitely, videos of uh, Julian and I. Uh, you know, holding. Quite intense private conversations in the in the embassy are among the the evidence in that case. Uh, it, it it's very interesting. I I'm not, I certainly once the initial judicial process runs its course, I'm certainly going to be looking to to take civil action well, myself to claim damages uh, for having been secretly uh, recorded in in that way. And and I, uh, I may well be considering not just taking you know civil action against the Spanish company, but uh, conceivably taking uh, civil action against the governments to whom the information was was passed um, uh, and I'm quite sure quite a few other people are, are thinking it way as well but it's a terrible thing you, you know the CIA were involved in procuring a, a violation of diplomatic immunity, and on top of that uh, uh, more, more radically they actually were spying on meetings between Julian and his lawyers in legal privilege you know, relating to the extradition proceedings. You you have the US government which is behind these extradition proceedings spying on conferences with lawyers and um, that would lead in any suit inside the United States, if the federal authorities were spying on the, the defendant's uh, conferences with his lawyers, that would lead to immediate dismissal of the suit, of the case. Uh, and, and so it should in this case, too.
1: I spoke to one of his lawyers the other day, and uh, it was so a complete the, uh, the uh, spying tools and the listening devices that they even got uh, this person, a lawyer, in the restroom. They were in the restroom and they had video and sound uh, spying equipment in the restroom. So that was pretty compromising. Uh, As for you, 17 times, I mean, they could do like a full three-hour movie on you. Um, You know, Craig Murray uh, in London at the uh, Ecuadorian embassy. (laughs) Myself, yeah. I uh, I was told by someone that saw some of the footage they got me. She said this was very comical. It's not comical to me because what they got was a bottle of um, a bottle of uh, Irish whiskey that not Irish whiskey but uh, scotch that I brought in when I left your place uh, when I visited you that I I, I brought into the embassy uh, and it's got me opening the top and having a couple of shots and then uh, me uh, sitting in the conference room sleeping. Uh, so uh, I find it, it may be funny, but uh, it's it, it kind of irksome to me. Um, Craig, uh, let me just—I uh, we're running a little bit longer than I thought we would, but uh, let me just ask you one last question here, or just give us an assessment uh, overall, some final thoughts about what's coming up uh, with Assange, and uh, we'll leave it at that.
0: Craig. Well, you know we're we're heading into. To the real nub of this now, we've we, we've got a, a week of hearings uh, next week. Uh, then we get an adjournment for several months. And the reason there's an adjournment for several months is that the main prosecution, if you like, the 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 guy from the Crown Prosecution Service. Who is there representing the idea that Julian should be extradited? He's then going off to Londonderry to defend uh, a British soldier who had allegedly been who was accused of murdering two people in the uh, Blondie Sunday. Massacre. Uh, so, in order for the British government to send its lawyer to defend an alleged crime or massacring people in Ireland, we'll, we have to have a hiatus for several months. Um, uh, um, but, but at the start of the um, at the start of the proceedings next week, uh, we will start to get the nitty gritty of the arguments, and of course, there'll be a great deal of, of popular action and protest. We've got a big rally coming up in London on Saturday. I'm speaking at a couple of rallies during the week, and I'm, I'm hoping we'll see a good many people all the time protesting outside the magistrate's court. Uh, and, uh, and also, there's a big onus on us to get over to journalists what this really means. You know, And let, let's be clear about this. Julian Assange is charged with outside the United States it wasn 't anywhere near the United States publishing material as a publisher leaked there to him by a whistleblower and the, the idea that anyone anywhere in the world, no matter where they do it, can be charged by the United States for publishing material of the United States government uh, is a very serious threat to journalists everywhere uh, and. Getting that through the, the rather thick heads of many of the mainstream media uh, is the major task I've set myself for the next week.
1: Well, I must tell you that they certainly should be uh, circling the wagons instead of the uh, firing squad, and that's what they've been doing. But hopefully, uh, they see the. Uh, you know the chilling effect that uh, extradition and because once he gets here, you know it's a slam dunk prosecution. Uh, they have all the cards, and it'll be a show trial in the Eastern District where nobody has ever won. They got a hundred and one percent conviction rate in that uh, that bailiwick. Um, so, uh, Craig, we will uh, see you um, at that rally, and uh, looking forward to one of your uh, off the cuff uh, speeches. Uh, live on the fly speeches in uh, London. And we'll see you definitely there on Saturday. And you're right, Craig, it's really important that people do rally. uh, Mm -hmm. Later on in the show, we're going to announce like 30 different events that are going on on the 24th. And uh, I think that those unsung heroes, the ones that the activists that get on the streets are really significant and important to move in this case in the right direction. Yeah. All right. Craig Murray, thank you very much. Uh And uh, We'll see you uh, in a couple of days. All right? Thank you, guys. Dr- Dr- looking forward to it. Drive Bye. safely. Bye-bye. All right. We'll be, we, we are, we are, we'll be right back uh, with uh, Aaron Maté. The Eastern
5: world, it is exploding. So like Violence flaring, bullets loading. You're old enough to kill, but not for voting. You don't believe in war. Boards and gun you're toting And even the Jordan River has Bodies floating But you tell me
1: okay that's uh, uh barry Maguire, like a one-hit wonder
3: you've heard that tune before right it's getting I cliche
1: have. isn't it that i'm playing that
3: and listen that's a great song and the video for barry Maguire's performance it's on youtube it's pretty amazing yeah
1: that's where i got it I got it right from youtube and grabbed the clip and i can play it here because it's podcast it's not on youtube this and not uh, get because uh, i've done things before I put it on YouTube and especially stuff that hammered Clinton and I had sitting on the dock of the bay in the background and the Clinton people went and complained and they took it right off or they just got rid of the sound so you, you know you couldn't figure out what it was about <laughs> uh, but we can talk about the Clintons all day uh, I'm I, you know back in 2000 and um, in one, 2002 I was working on this uh, Rockefeller drug law movement and she lives a, like within a mile of two prisons, uh, women's prisons uh, up there where she lives uh, in Westchester, that is uh, Bedford Hills and uh, uh, Taconic. and she never once, she comes out as this great civil rights uh, individual back in 2016, but I wrote a, le- I wrote a op-ed in the Huffington Post saying she's never visited in the 18 years or whatever, 20 years now, never visited either one of those prisons where it's all black and Latino, There's like 2,000 women there on a regular basis. Well,
3: uh, she was probably afraid because they were, of course, holding super predators to use her, her language. Right, right, they're right. all dying
1: bad people. I went yes. up there so many times and, and I complained about that. And she's sitting around with the, that guy Cummings and others and Sharpton uh the Reverend Sharpton uh who has not been out there uh for Assange that's my impression but I do a pretty good Bernie Sanders which I would I hope he comes out and supports Mr. Julian Assange that's what he's got to do I've got to come out and support him all right I'm doing impressions right now this is too serious this show we're here with Aaron Mate and uh his uh Girl, her friend
3: is friend. My my partner, Karina Gonzalez. Karina Gonzalez. Habla español?
1: Sí, ok, don't de donde eres vos? Yo soy Puerto Rico. Mucho yeah. gusto. Ok, <laughs> that Spanish is better than, uh, than Bloomberg's. All right, so, uh, Aramate is with uh, Gray Zone News, and you work with some great people. You work with I do. Uh, Anya. Parampil, yep. uh, Max Blumenthal and yep. Ben Norton, it's yep. a, it's a you guys have been all over the place. What do you think about this um uh how chilling is it to you this uh, Assange um, uh, development or this
3: uh, persecution or prosecution? This is one of the most important cases uh of um the last you know century. Julian Assange being uh, he's facing the threat of extradition to the US, where he faces um, even worse con- con- conditions than he's being held in now, which is saying a lot because he's been treated horribly now. He's being subjected to even torture, if you believe uh, Niels Meltzer, the UN Special Rapporteur on torture. You believe him, don't you? I certainly do. Yeah, right. uh, and all for what? For publishing truthful information. And as you and Craig Murray talked about, under a legal standard that has never been tested before this idea that the US has the right to force another country to extradite a non-US citizen based on the fact that it's published uh, classified information it's 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 extraordinary and then you have all the other details that you guys touched on this the fact that the CIA spied on Assange during his confinement inside the Ecuadorian embassy a confinement of course that should never have happened and only happened because of uh, legal maneuverings behind the scenes that uh, forced the British government and the Swedish government to put pressure on Assange, the point where he had to seek refuge because the U.S. would not guarantee that it would not seek his extradition. So you have this uh, years-long ordeal and torment of Assange now coming to fruition and culminating in a case uh, that threatens the very notion of press freedom.
1: Yes, Well. I, well, I know that. All right. I mean, that's great what you just said. How, how, what do you think it, how would it impact? Uh, I don't like to say alternative media because, uh, you know, you are media. All right. Uh, Gray zone is media and it's, it's, it's enlightening media. It's important media. And I, I always go to the gray zone. For information, I go to the Black Agenda Report. I don't go to commercial uh, outlets only for entertainment and laugh at it. You know, if it wasn't so um, unfunny, uh, I'd laugh harder. But but uh, but, uh, what do you think the impact would be if, in fact, he is prosecuted on organizations like Grayzone?
3: Well, it, it's the end of. A notion, even, of a free media. Because here, Assange is being persecuted for publishing accurate information. And the reason he's being persecuted is because that accurate information has revealed the secrets of the world's top superpower. If Assange had only published the information of a U.S. enemy, like, say, Russia or China, although he has revealed secrets about U.S. enemies, including Russia, but if he had only published their secrets, none of this would be happening. This is happening because he is challenging... The uh, secrecy of the world's top superpower. and He's exposed their crimes in Iraq. Uh, he's exposed their bullying of countries around the world with the uh, diplomatic cables that were released, um, and he's exposed the corruption inside the Democratic Party. So that has led to a bipartisan consensus of hostility towards him, culminating in this. And if if they if the if they are if they succeed, if they silence him, and condemn him to uh, extradition and potential death in in a US prison cell. It's basically sending a message that anybody who dissents from the prevailing consensus, who exposes the crimes of the world's top superpower, um, will be silenced, and not just silenced through coercion and bullying and force, but even through the courts, through legal means, and through the shutting down of the, the free media channels that we're all supposed to believe exist.
1: Well, that's a pretty good analysis there, and you're right on uh, with that.
3: Um, we are talking with Aaron Maté. You have a
1: podcast
3: as well. It's called it Pushback on the Gray Zone. And uh, yeah, we're just trying to do what, we're trying to fill the void uh, that is left by a corporate media. And even you know other progressive and adversarial sites that have been going along with the narratives of power and trying to... Silence at that centers, like Julian Assange.
1: So you, uh, that's on once a week or biweekly. It's on,
3: it's on whenever I can get around. I, I to see. All right. It. So, you know, but it's really you know how like, it is. It's not easy to do a, a one-person show.
1: No, I know this is very. This is difficult, <laughs> folks. It's not easy because you put it all together. You you have to put the whole thing together. I know Max comes in with you, and
3: already uh, does it by phone. I'm I'm lucky to lean on Max, who 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 works very closely with me and and helps put the show together. Max Blumenthal, we're talking and, and about, and comes yeah. on as a guest, and uh, I, I rely on him for many things, including. His analysis and insight into how the world works. I
1: found the uh, interview that you did with your father to be really uh, interesting, and that must have been a weird
3: experience,
1: was it, to interview your father and no, have that? You or or was no, it easy?
3: I, no, it's you know, I, we we have a good relationship. Gabriel Mate, yes. Gabriel Mate, yeah, 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 who's a physician and author. No, listen, uh, we we get along great, and I I just like what he has to say, so I, I, I like helping him get it out there. Okay,
1: we're gonna you're gonna continue this. My special. Uh, live on the fly uh, co-host this week is Aaron Maté from Grey Zone News and we're going to take a quick break and come back with Naomi Colvin firebrand activist
4: in this dirty old part of the city when the sun refused to shine People tell me there ain't no use in trying Now my girl, you're so young and pretty And one thing I know is true
1: Out when I was 14. That's Eric Burton and the animals uh, we got to get out of this place. Um, I just mentioned Naomi Colvin, who uh, really is a firebrand free speech uh, activist, advocate, uh, the former. Uh, Uh, Executive Director at Courage Foundation. She's worked on a number of cases, including uh, Lori Love, and we'll talk to her about that. But let me just give you uh, some of her credits. She's the UK Program Director at uh, uh, Blueprint for Free Speech. Uh, She's uh, working on uh, whistleblowing uh, research and uh, policy and uh, campaigns at uh, Bridges for Media Freedom. All right. So, um, Naomi, are you there? We got you?
6: I am here. Hello. Right.
1: How are you doing, Naomi? Uh, let me just say, I really admire uh, what you've been doing over the years. I, I had a nice uh, conversation with Renata. Uh, ability of Ella the other day, and um, you know, she spoke so highly of you. But I've always you, you've helped me out on this show. You've given me, you really, uh, with Nils Melzer and Lori Love. If I didn't have you, uh, giving me information, I gotta be honest, uh, that I probably wouldn't have been able to put the, that show together. So thank you for that. Ah,
6: uh, you see, uh, well, I'm the person behind the scenes that tells, that tells you what to ask, That's all right? right.
1: Well, <laughs> That's what all I think. Right. Yes, you were great, <laughs> even with the bios. So Uh, Except for you didn't give me a bio on yourself. You're that modest.
6: No, well, I'm very modest.
1: That's Uh, why. uh, All right. I'm very modest and I'm very busy. (laughs) All right. And you're a big fan of Andy McKay. Frank McKay is our um, engineer here. So uh, maybe there's a connection.
6: Uh, Any relation?
1: Are you related to Andy McKay? I don't, he says says no. All right. So, uh, you have a lot of McKays a, out there. There's a, a lot, lot of McKays. McKay's. I know. Um, so, you are uh, in London right now, I, I, I believe. I am. All right. So, uh, you've been uh, tracking this, you've been involved in every aspect of it. Why don't you uh, give us a layout <laughs> of what is about to come, what's happening right now, and uh, take us through the process? Sure.
6: So, Monday is the start of Julian's main. I think to differentiate from sort of the pre trial hearings that go, you know, the preliminary hearings that have gone before, but it's not really a trial. There's a judge, but there's no jury. Um, And in fact, it's even less like a trial than a lot of extradition processes elsewhere because under the UK US extradition treaty, the Americans don't have to show any evidence for their case against Julian. So, what is going to happen next week? And next week is the first week. Of this extradition hearing, then we cut away for three months. Then it will start up again for another three weeks. So, what's going to happen next week is the Americans are going to turn up on day one. They're going to tell their story about um, about what about um, the indictment and what they think that Julian has done and how they want to fr- and how they want to frame it. They will try and make their excuse for this unprecedented espionage act prosecution of a publisher for publishing true information in the public interest. And um, they will tell their story. They don't have to show any evidence to back it up. The judge will they'll ask them a few questions. And so yes, we've ticked that box. Yes, we've tipped, uh, ticked that box. We've spelled his name, right. That's all we have to do here. And then literally the rest of the entire extradition proceedings is the defense putting forward arguments about why Julian should not be extradited.
1: That's all next week. All right. Uh, that's, that's what's happening the first yeah, week.
6: So the, that's what's happening the first week, in fact, it's what's going to happen throughout all of it. But next week is going to be purely legal arguments. And so we'll hear the prosecution open their case. We'll hear the defense open their case, and I think there's going to be some interesting stuff coming out there on Tuesday. And then on Thursday and Wednesday and Thursday, there's going to be arguments on um, well, about the extradition treaty itself. The first clause of the extradition treaty prohibits extradition for political offences. And, of course, espionage is the classic political offence. So there's a fundamental question to be asked here about why this case has even been allowed to come to court. I see. Surely this entire effort is negated by the extradition treaty. So what we'll hear next week is a sort of taster of what of the thing that's going to run through the entire extradition hearing, which will also run through the second half of May and the first week of June, is that this is a political undertaking. This isn't really a criminal case. This is a political vendetta. And that, in, in various ways and various respects, and that is really the, that's really sort of the golden thread which runs through the entire case.
1: Well, that's, that's been my problem, how to describe this show, to talk about the trial. So I don't say trial, it, it's a proceeding, yeah. but he's had a lot of hearings leading up to uh, Monday already. I
6: know, so, I'd, so I would call it like the main extraditional hearing or the substantive extradition hearing. A lot of people are calling it an extradition trial just to say this is the main thing. I mean, it's not strictly correct, but
1: so this I guess it's fine. Is, so this is just the first aspect, and, and then in May... It, it will continue. They unless the C, CPS. Yeah, it
6: continues in May, and May is where we get into hearing witnesses. I and see. And sort of the more, the you know, more, more of, more of the sort of the meat
1: Let's of see. the case. And so after that's over, then the judge in this case makes a decision to either. Uh, agree with the CPS, the Crown Prosecutor Services, and, mm-hmm. uh, and send of over for uh, extradition, uh, most likely that will happen. Uh, if you look at um, Lori Love's case as a precedent, um, and then what happens after that in, in 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 these cases? Yeah,
6: so I I agree with your analysis there. I think that he may well lose at first instance. That's not a statement on the strength of his case. It's a statement on you know what the courts are like at that. At that level, and it's such a big case, and it's such a complicated argument it's the the judge is mo is more than likely going to say, "Well, this just needs to go to appeal. I think that's what happened with lowry um after that um it let let's assume that in any case it's going to be appealed if he won at first instance, um the Americans would appeal it. I'm sure, so we're looking into twenty twenty one for this for sure um if we assume that he's going to lose at first instance at, at Woolwich at Woolwich Crown Court. Um, the extradition documents then go to the British Home Secretary and she has to sign them. I see. Um, There's another process that goes on there, but there's this sort of political bit that happens in the meantime. Then there has to be an application to appeal because it's not immediate, but I can't imagine that not happening. And I guess you're looking at an appeal in the High Court either at the end of this year or more likely spring next year.
1: So he will definitely be serving time even if they decide not to extradite him, he's doing time anyway. He's done that time in the uh, Ecuadorian embassy, and he's doing time in this uh, squalid, uh, dank uh, prison, Uh, What What is your um, uh, awareness of of his uh, mental and, and physical condition right now?
6: Well, I think he's having a tough time, isn't he? My understanding is that his conditions have got somewhat better over the past months, As you know, he spent six months in isolation on the medical wing Uh at Belmarsh, which I understand was pretty harmful for him. And isolation is harmful for everyone. I mean, there are lots of international standards about that. I think there are questions to answer about why he was put there and why he was there for such a long time. That's the kind of time that does serious damage to someone. Um, So I think he's in better conditions now. I can't really comment about his you know day-to-day mental state i've not been i've not been to see him um but yeah i i I gather that he's um working hard in the system you know and um managing his defense as best he can.
1: Well, he's a resilient man, uh, individual, very resilient and resourceful. But, you know, I get stuck in an elevator for like 10 minutes and, and I lose my mind. So I, I can't imagine yeah. what it's like to be in a place like this. And it is a notorious prison. Who else is uh, in a prison like this, like Belmarsh, normally?
6: Um, well, it's, it's the sort of big national security prison, really. It's the high security prison in London. So you get a lot of terrorists um suspects and you know convicted people there um for the sort of big showpiece politi- you know political cases you end up you, people end up there as well otherwise it, otherwise it's um si- otherwise it's serious criminals gangland stuff drug stuff I, violent I, crimes
1: i you know uh, speaking of his uh, uh of the conditions in in the psychological uh Conditions or physical conditions. Yeah. There. Um, you know, we had Niels Melzer on, as you know, because you helped me with that uh, interview. And <laughs> Can you um, recapitulate the uh, the uh, the uh, what uh, Niels did and you did uh, with the uh, Council uh, on Europe that that uh, that particular yeah. assembly? Yeah.
6: Sure. Okay. So Niels Melzer is the UN Special Rapporteur on torture. He um, went to visit Julian quite early on, I think it was in May 2019, shortly after he um, was arrested and imprisoned in Belmarsh. He took with him two medical experts who um, are able to apply the criteria to, ju- to judge whether somebody is, you know, is showing the symptoms of being a victim of torture or not. Um, th- those three experts, including Niels, were of one mind that Julian was showing the symptoms. Of psychological torture, and um, Niels wrote his report to that effect. He's been quite critical, and I, I imagine that I haven't heard your interview actually, but I imagine he pointed this out of the response he's had from um, the UK, US, and Sweden after putting putting these these issues to them. Um, in light of what Niels Melzer has said, a lot of other a lot of other groups have followed suit. You may have seen there's a, a group of doctors, the Doctors for Assange, who have. Um, been writing, you know, but shown a lot of been very concerned, you know, based on their um you know, based on their knowledge and of and their understanding of what someone's medical needs are. Their letter was published in the Lancet just this week. It's quite quite extraordinary. Um and at a governmental level as well, people are quite concerned. So yes, the Council of Europe, so this was a couple of weeks ago now, um and Based on these humanitarian concerns and the, free, and the profound free press issues which are raised by this extradition case, um, the Parliamentary Assembly of the Council of Europe, which is sort of the parliamentary bit of one of Europe's big human rights bodies, it's the body which looks after the European Court of Human Rights, which, weirdly, which actually, maybe not coincidentally, is if, if Julian's sort of final Court of Appeal. In in Europe, so once you've you know once you've gone through all the UK processes, he has the option of appealing to the European Court of Human Rights as well. But this organisation also has a parliamentary assembly, and a couple of weeks ago, um, this parliamentary assembly passed a unanimous resolution that member states of the Council of Europe should oppose Julian's extradition and, on humanitarian grounds, press for his prompt release. From prison. That's quite an important statement. Um, not least that it came in in the context of a media freedom report, which was written by a British peer, a British parliamentarian. Fox. So all, all very good, and and that's kind of the start of in the, you know bringing round opinion in the UK well, that what is going on is very problematic.
1: Uh, Niels Melzer has been a real godsend, a breath of fresh air that has just appeared out of nowhere and has been uh, really effective. I'm Randy Credico. This is uh, Randy Credico Live on the Fly, Assange, Countdown to Freedom. Uh, my uh, co-host this week is uh, Gray Zone uh, featured writer and uh, uh, wonderful broadcaster, uh, Aaron Maté. Aaron, you have uh, some yeah. questions?
3: Naomi, uh, do you have... A sense, or what is your impression of the level of independence and integrity on this British court? And what do you think happens if they face pressure from the British national security establishment? Do you think? Do you have a sense of which way that they might lean under pressure from not just from their own government, but but from the U.S. as well?
6: Um, I, I think we have. To, well, I think we have to proceed in that you know there's the the courts. Procedure is fairly standard. I don't think it's massively, massively biased. I mean, one can win in a British courtroom. Larry Love won his case um, after Larry Love won his UK-US extradition case. Um, the same High Court also granted an appeal in another and um, upheld an appeal in another UK-US extradition case. So it's not really the situation that the US gets everything it wants in these in these cases. Um, that's not just due to the you know generosity of judges at that level it's because there's been massive public pressure about it for over you know for for the past twenty years, also ever since Gary McKinnon was indicted originally. Um, That was quite a celebrated case of a British hacker who was one of the first people to be indicted under what was then the new UK-US extradition treaty, and he fought for 10 years and had to go through the entire extradition proceedings twice before he was sort of granted leave to stay in the UK as a political decision. Um, That really has set the tone for the way that extradition is seen and discussed in the UK. So yes, while it's the case that courts are going to take notice of pressure from from you know governments and the powers that they may be, maybe they also take, they also, they're also receptive to the environment that's set in other ways. So in terms of sort of the impartiality of the court, I don't actually have that many concerns about it. What I do have concerns are is the way that the law is structured. The UK-US extradition treaty is controversial, and it's controversial for a reason. That's because it's extremely unbalanced and inequitable. Hmm. You, when the US wants to extradite someone from the UK. They turn up and tell their story. They don't need to show any evidence. It's not the same if um, Britain is trying to extradite somebody from the United States. And just in terms of how permissive prosecutors are in the various countries in letting extradition requests through, let's have a look at it. I mean, I think the British government has done sort of a terrible, terrible thing here by even letting this extradition request come to court. I think it's plainly something that should have been stopped at the prosecutors speaking to prosecutors. Stage and I, you know, have some questions to ask. I think of the politicians who let this one slip through. If you look at if you look at how it works on the other side. Um, last year, um, a, a, a the wife of an American spy, basically, let's just call it what it is, an American spy who's based at one of these uk US air bases in, you know, in, in England, um, ran over. A British teenager and killed him by driving on you know she was driving on the wrong side of the road. she admitted to police in the UK that she'd done it. It's a pretty clear case of death by dangerous driving. Um, she was spirited out of the UK and as you know which got her out of the uk. It's not relevant now she's not in the UK anymore. but now she's not in the UK. The British government or the British police initiated an extradition request for her to come back to England and, you know, face the music for this, for this thing that she admitted she did. Um, And basically, the Americans, Mike Pompeo, just in December last year, um, told the Brits to get lost. So they say, um, we think that your sentence for this is too long, which is a bit of a joke when you think about what American sentences are like, and they were trying to put Larry away for 99 years, they want to put Julian away for 175 years. Um, not for killing anyone. And um, yeah, they just told him to get lost. Like, we're not going to let this go to court. So this is a really unbalanced relationship. And I think that these bilateral relationships are quite open to abuse. And I think that under Trump there's been a willingness to use them in an ever more abusive way. There's actually another There's another relevant extradition uh, extradition case going on in the UK in parallel to this Harry Dunn and the coolest thing and Julian stuff, um, which we can talk about if that's interesting to you.
3: Well, Let me ask you about again about the hearing yeah. next week. When Assange's team makes the case that this is a political extradition, I imagine, mm-hmm. I imagine that what was presented this week in court about uh, this uh, alleged pardon offer that was floated to Assange by Dana Rohrabacher, yeah. I imagine that that was part of that. Can you give us a sense of, of what else the Assange team might argue here to make the case that this extradition attempt is political?
6: Um, yeah, as I say, this whole idea of a political prosecution is going to come up again and again and again. In the first week, we'll hear that this is a that espionage is a political offense per you know just at uh, full stop and therefore should be should not it's not a valid reason for extradition under the extradition treaty but yes as you say there was this revelation about this pardon offer which came up yesterday in court and i understand that when the defense opens their arguments on tuesday um, there will be more data points to add to that mm. i don't think i can say any more than that
3: do you think that Assange's team has has had sufficient time and resources to prepare for the extradition here?
6: It's an absolutely staggeringly huge case. Um, tens of thousands of pages of evidence have been submitted by the defense, and just to give you an impression of how you know big this case is, just in terms of scope and scale. Um, Lowry loves extradition hearing, was quite a big extradition hearing. We had lots of witnesses. Um, His first sentence hearing was two and a half days. Um, Julian's has been scheduled for 20, of which we get the first five next week. It's really, really massive. Um, I think it is clear that this was initially rushed through with inappropriate haste. the reason why this hearing has been split into two and the second half has been put back to May is that both the prosecution and the defence came to the judge in a procedural hearing last month saying, Look, neither we, we both accept that neither of us are going to be ready for February. We're no I mean nowhere near ready and we need to ha and we need to have extra time. Um I think the timetable was well more than overly optimistic and I had some questions about this actually because based on other cases I've seen um, Getting more time to prepare your case properly is never usually an issue in the UK and there are factors in Julian's case which should have made it more likely that time wasn't going to be a massive pressure. So one particular example of this, you'll have heard of course about all of the surveillance that was going on at the Ecuadorian embassy, which is going to come up in these extradition proceedings because it's material to his right to a fair trial, article Mm. six of the human rights act in the UK. Um, And there's a criminal case going on about this in Spain. And the, and the evidence and the reasoning and any dis- and decisions in that Spanish case are clearly material to what's going on in the extradition case in London. However, no time is you know. However, the Spanish case will not have concluded by the time. Well, certainly, obviously, won't have concluded by Monday, and it, I don't think it will have concluded by the um, by the second part of this big hearing in May either. When. We're getting to the point where these matters are going to be discussed in detail. So yeah, there's something, there's something a bit wrong about that.
3: Well, I wanted to ask you about that case, this uh, the prosecution of UC Global, this company that was hired yeah. by the CIA to spy on Assange inside the embassy. Because again, speaking of political motives, you have the revelation that Sheldon Adelson, this casino magnate, that his company was used by the CIA as the intermediary to UC Global, and it paid UC Global for that spying. And I'm wondering if just, you know, on top of the brazen act of the U.S. spying on Assange as he's under diplomatic asylum inside an embassy, Mm. if the fact that it also involves a top donor to the president of the country that is now trying to extradite Assange, whether that gets introduced as a major component um, by Julian Assange's defense for why this case is extremely political.
6: Yes, it's a possibility. the th- the th- The theory that you've outlined has not been tested in court yet, which is one reason why it's sort of bad that the extradition proceedings are going ahead before the Spanish case has been settled, right? And the you know the evidence has been assessed. Right. That that you know that would be you know a more appropriate kind of sol- solution. I mean, for the purposes for pur- the purposes of the extradition case. Um, Decisions that are taken to undergo to undertake surveillance of of Julian and sort of explicitly you know violate his legal privilege I imagine yes that that's kind that's kind of material, and the fact that his legal privilege has been violated full stop matters so look I don't know, and I can't tell you exactly which way they're going they're going to argue it in the extradition case but the sort of direction they're going in on that is that the violation of legal privilege, i.e., um, you know, all of Julian's legal meetings being filmed in high definition video and audio, and being distributed elsewhere to places unproven at the moment. Although there's a lot of, although there is some circum, there is some interesting circumstantial evidence that's been reported in El Pais and elsewhere. Um, there's the um, the interference with mobile devices, which people were handing in at embassy at the embassy reception, you know, which reveals all kind of information. So we're talking about legally privileged information, but also medically privileged information, um, professionally privileged information, confidential journalistic information. And in addition to that, of course, after Julian was um, expelled from the embassy and his asylum arbitrarily rescinded, um, he was not allowed. To um, reclaim any of his possessions, so anything that was left in the embassy, which includes, you know, legal documents, you know, personal documents, um, those were taken or, t- or looked through, and many of them were taken by Ecuador and basically handed over, handed over to the United States under a mutual legal assistance agreement, which was concluded. Well at a time which makes it look like it was concluded primarily to prosecute Julian.
1: We are talking with Naomi Colvin uh, in London, the firebrand advocate and uh, (laughs) activist. You really are fantastic. You really covered a lot of ground. Uh, We're we're going to be speaking with uh, some uh, organizers of uh, vigils and rallies here in just one minute and Uh. make announcements of how important uh, are these uh, rallies around the world, do you think?
6: Um, I think it's very. I think it's very important. I think that uh, the breadth and spread of the actions, and being able to see that people are, you know, all around the world are concerned about this, is very important. Because, of course, those revelations of 2010 and 2011 had a genuine global impact. The. Release of the State Department cables was, you know, as Amnesty and others have argued, uh, at least in part, responsible for the outbreak of the Arab Spring. And then there was, and then, of course, you know, the uh, wave of grassroots democratic movements that happened worldwide. After, you know, afterwards, it's really hard to think of public interest disclosure which ha- were, you know, having the impact on a larger scale than um, Chelsea Manning's disclosures, which were released by WikiLeaks. And yeah, so it's fitting that. There is um, commensurate support action on a global scale.
1: Well, that's great. We're going to have a couple of the New York uh, organizers of uh, uh, the twenty-fourth rally. Um, uh, there'll be a big one on Saturday, right there, at Australia House, and a march to a concert hall or parliamentary building, I believe. And uh, I'll be at that one, I believe, unless I get. Will you? Yes, I'm going to be there. I. Uh, even though it's raining, I'll have to bring my umbrella, brelly, whatever it's called. All <laughs> well, that's right? the British way. Right, that's the British way. You, you go out to Parliament Square in the rain. That's what we do. <laughs> it's but it's the weather's nice though. It's sixty degrees. I'll, I'd rather have that and raining than the clear and uh, twenty below. Uh, so, Naomi, keep up the good work. I know I'm going to see you in the next couple well, of you days. Too. All right, and yeah. uh, you take care of yourself. And uh, like I said, keep up the good work. You're, uh, you know. You're a real gift. All right, Naomi Colvin. All right, all the best to you too. All right, we'll be right back uh, with uh, uh Bernadette and Chuck. I was
4: born by the river in a little tent. Oh, and just like the river, I've been running ever since. It's been a Oh, yes, it will It's been too hard living But I'm afraid to die
1: the great the late sam cook i want to thank um, anonymous scandinavia the whole crew there all of the uh, sound files uh, that we are playing today and what we've played over the last eight weeks all done by the good uh, folks at anonymous scandinavia uh follow them uh very interesting videos um it's Anon scan uh, at twitter anonymous scandinavia look at their videos uh They're just a really hardworking, inventive uh, crew, uh, indefatigable, indefatigable crew of individuals. I also want to uh, shout out to uh, people who have supported this show, um, uh, Kelly Lane and Jeffrey Abrams and a whole bunch of others that have uh, helped out. Uh, This is Randy Credico live on the fly uh, with Covert Action, Covert Action Magazine. Uh, you can uh, go to their website. It's covertactionmagazine.com, and um, you can check out all of the uh, uh, previous seven shows, and of course this one right there. And that, uh, of course, was founded by Bill Shap Scha- Scha- and Ellen <laughs> Ellen Ray, and uh, Lou Wolf, um, and uh, Chris Chris Agee is the uh, editor, and uh, he is the son of. Uh, the CIA whistleblower, Philip Agee, and he does an incredible job. Uh, He's really a hardworking guy and very didactic. He makes sure that I don't make any mistakes when I write these things up. And he is really sharp, good guy, and uh, I've known him for a long time. Now uh, we are going to um, go to what we've been talking about uh, on and off, and that is the uh, the vigils and the rallies that have uh, been taking place around the world and will be taking place – in, in tomorrow in, in, uh, around the world, I can tell you, in Paris, there is one uh, at, uh, I don't know what time it is, uh, actually Sunday, this is Sunday the 23rd, um, uh, and I, it doesn't, the Department for Balmorish I don't know that one. There's one in Toronto on Sunday at, uh, I think it's 360 University Avenue that Sunday, and in Rome at the Piazza Popolo. Uh, at uh, 4 o'clock or 1,600 hours uh, there uh, on Sunday. And uh, Candles for Assange has sent me like a million different places. And there'll be one. We're going to get to the one in New York uh, in one second. Uh, We have one in D.C. D.C. on Monday. The 24th is the big day. Uh, I have one in D.C. And uh, when I can find the exact location, because I have like 90 flyers in front of me, But there's one in D.C. I'll get back to that one. Uh, There's also one on uh, the – where is that? At the White House. All right, in D.C. Okay, at 12 noon, there'll be one. And uh, what else do we have here? We have a million others right here in New York City. I'll get to the others in a minute. Let's go to New York City here. There'll be one uh, coming up at the British Embassy, I believe, uh, and the organizers are two of them are in this room right now. Chuck Slatkin and, uh, Bernadette, uh, evangelist, evangelist, uh, are joining us. Uh, welcome, uh, to, uh, Assange Countdown to Freedom.
4: Thanks,
7: Randy. And
1: thank you for all the good work that you have done. How long have you been, uh, doing this? Uh,
7: Chuck. In terms of Assange? Yes, the Assange. uh, uh, We started uh, April of last year. No kidding. uh, To do a weekly uh, vigil. Originally, we started in front of the, uh, the British consulate where the event is on Monday. We did that for a while. Then we moved over in front of the New York Times building. Yeah, and did that for months, and then just in this re- cold
1: weather, you're a winter soldier. Well, and then Tom know, Payne would love you guys.
7: Except we moved into Grand Central Terminal when it really right. got cold. Well, yes, yeah,
1: so I don't blame you. you could, uh, <laughs> plus, you never uh, miss out on the time. You could, right by the clock. You meet normally every Thursday, and you're going to continue yeah, four, right
7: four thirty to five 30, one hour every Thursday, every Thursday, every and th- it's,
1: that's going to continue on. Right,
7: continues on. It's uh, people can come by, and uh, we. Uh, Hand out uh, flyers. We have posters, and uh, we show a version, uh, project a version of the collateral uh, murders uh, video up there for people to see.
1: And so they meet at the uh, clock, the, the clock uh, inside the information. Yeah, booth, the main concourse. About four okay. fifteen normally, yeah, yeah. and then you go outside. Or you stay inside. No, we stay inside. Okay, so right by there by the clock. Yeah, they, and they well, don't bother you there.
7: Well, you know, they you see tr- all
1: those they, armed military. They uh, try
7: to kind of talk to us and convince us that. We shouldn't be there, but we know that we can be there, so we're there.
1: All right listen, I you know that I am an activist at heart. That's what I do. You know, I'm, that's what I did with the concert Fund. I had all those mm-hmm. vigils in front of Rockefeller Center, rallies around the state with the Rockefeller drug laws. That is I like being on the street. I'm a street person. Uh, so uh, Bernadette, um, how, how is it going? I mean, are people uh, responding? Uh, are, are they showing up? Uh, are Hi, they joining I'd this vigil?
2: More and more, more and more people are showing up, and I do want to say that our first vigil, Randy, you were there, and you kind of inspired us. So
1: I was there at the yes, first you were, vigil. I don't, I you I know. We weren't was, organized at all. I, I was at one at Washington Square Park with Bianca one this, time. I know this that. was
2: more like near the embassy.
1: Okay, oh and, yes, I remember that one, yes. And we just, just said no we have point. to keep
2: doing this. Yes, what, what well we?
1: you've done an incredible job, you've been doing it every week. So th- let's go to Monday now, Monday okay. the 24th, all right? Uh, what's happening on Monday the 24th?
2: 11 o'clock outside the British Consulate on uh, 47th Street, I can't That's
7: read. 2nd that. Avenue, 885 2nd Avenue. Yes. Well, At 47th Street.
1: And what, 3rd Avenue? 2nd Avenue. 2nd Avenue, 2nd Avenue. all right. 2nd, yeah. At what time? 11 a.m. 11 a.m., which is four o'clock uh, British time to 1 p.m. Okay. Yes, we
2: would have liked to, co- you know, to have everybody coordinated around the world, but we did our best. We right. didn't want to get up quite so early.
1: Well, let, let's just uh, go through all of these here. Let's read some of the other ones. So we'll get back to that time. Uh, do you have uh, one of these sheets here? Uh, no, there's uh, there's one in D.C. Oh, in front out. of the White House, and, mm-hmm. and somebody. Uh, uh, <laughs> candles for Assange. I'm going to go through a couple of these myself. All right? You got uh, Auckland, New Zealand, in front of the British Consulate, on noon uh, on Monday. So go to the next one there.
7: Chuck? Wellington, uh, New Zealand, uh, Parliament Steps, 12 noon. Brisbane, OZ. What's well, OZ? UK Consulate, 100 Eagle Street. Sydney, Martin Place Amphitheater at 12 noon. Hobart, Parliament Lawns, 1230. Nowra, 59 Junction Street, the corner of Berry Street at 12 noon.
8: Melbourne, Australia, British Consulate, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Adelaide, Australia, Parliament Steps, King William, North Terrace at 5 p.m.
3: Seoul, Korea, outside the Hyundai Uplex Department Store. Athens, Greece, Kapnikaria, at 6 p.m. that.
1: We have one. All right, Chuck, you me. go to the next one there.
3: Wow, that's quite
7: uh, All uh, right, well, uh, I'll just go l- to
1: l- it. Ljubljana, l- l- l-
7: Slovenia.
1: Yes, you've that never I, been there? No, uh, it's, it's a wonderful my, it, spot. It, it's they on have my a list. Trump Tower Hotel there. Okay, right.
7: UK Embassy at three o'clock. And what's the next one? Nice, France, uh, Place uh, Giribaldi at six p.m.
1: All right.
8: Amsterdam, Netherlands, Museum Plain near A.H. Twelve noon. Bern, Switzerland, Helvetia Platz at four thirty p.m.
3: Brussels, Belgium, UK Consul Ten Avenue de. Uh, Dergam at 5 p.m., and London, the event, the second event in London on Monday, is at Trafalgar Square, Nelson's Column at 4.30 p.m.
7: Dublin, Ireland, UK Embassy, 10 a.m., and Edinburgh, Scotland, the Parliament Building at 10.30 a.m.
8: And in New York, at the UK Consulate, 885 2nd Ave and 47th at 11 a.m., and also Washington, D.C., White House to DOJ at 12 noon.
3: Denver, Colorado at Union Station, 4 p.m. San Francisco at the UK Consulate, 1 San Street. Okay, I'll do the 12 noon.
1: I'll do the at 12 noon, all right? That's in San Francisco, the very important one. They're all important. Mexico City uh, at the UK Embassy. uh, It doesn't say the time here. Uh, Do you see it? Oh, 11 Mm -hmm. a.m. Okay, that would be local time. Mexico City, UK Embassy. And then another one, a march to the embassy at 3.30 p.m. So that pretty much wraps up about a third of what's happening uh, on uh, Monday, the 24th. And if you're in London uh, on the 23rd, is this London here? Uh, Toronto, I forgot Toronto. On the 23rd, Toronto, Canada at 12.00. Uh, p.m. I want to thank uh, Candles uh, for uh, Assange. Uh, if I find some more, I'm sure they're here. And in Scotland, Edinburgh on Monday at uh, all weekend. Check it out. Uh, Scotland, uh, Edinburgh. I Did you already mention Edinburgh in here? Okay, so we're, we're set on, on Edinburgh. All right. So you two, any last words about this great event that you're doing on Monday? Just please
2: come out, New Yorkers. We want us to show support for Julian, and we want New we want America and UK to know how much we care.
1: All right. Can you give? Do you have a website or a, a Twitter handle or Facebook? <laughs> give us all of that information, Chuck or. Well,
2: NYC dad. Free Assange would be at Facebook, NYC Free Assange, at uh, Twitter, and you could write to us at NYC Free Assange at gmail.com.
1: Well, you guys have really done a great job, and. Uh, you know, I'm I'm getting a vicarious thrill out of this. I really am watching you too. I've had to t- stay under the radar somewhat because oh. I got involved somehow in this Russiagate deal. By uh, Aaron, brought me into it. Uh, you <laughs> He's know. getting you out yes, of this. It. Well, uh, we'll talk about that. But um, uh, any last words, Chuck? Well, I just think it, it, people
7: really feel good to come out and be with other people to do something, you know, real uh, for for Julian and it's essential to do it and if not now
1: when right i totally agree this is a very important uh situation and um, i'm i'll be back out there but it won't be this monday okay um i will be out of town i'll be out of town i'm gonna decamp get out of here before they pull me back in to do uh, msnbc or uh, cbs or Mm. one of these shows to talk about this Whatever happened in D.C. today. Yeah. All right, I'm Randy Credico, uh, here with Aaron Maté. I want to thank you, Bernadette. Uh, ah. Stick around, uh, evang- evangelist. Yes. And Chuck Slacken, uh, thank, thank you for all the great work that you've done. And you people know how to reach them. And please show up Monday if you're in New York City.
8: Mm. É um caco de vidro, é a vida, é o sol, é a noite, é a morte, é o um laço, é o anzol, é a peroba do cão, é o o nó da madeira, é o uma da pereira, é madeira de vento, é um mistério profundo, é o queiro ou não quero. É o vento ventando. é o fim da ladeira, é a vida o vão, festa da comida,
4: é a chuva, chuvinha, é. Essa ribeira das águas de março é o fim da canseira. é um pé, meu um
8: chão, é a mastradeira. Passarinho na mar. pedra de atiradeira. É uma ave no céu, é uma ave no chão. É um regato, é uma fonte, é um pedaço de pão. É o um fim do poço, é o um fim do caminho. No rosto, desgosto, é um corpo sozinho. É um estrépito, é um véu.
1: All right, we're back. That was Aqua de Marcos by Ellis Regina and uh Tom Jobin. Um Aaron, uh so what do you think? What do you think? Uh we're coming to the end of this show. Um uh, what is your um Assessment uh, here at the end of of what's happening and uh, any like final thoughts about it?
3: Well, we've gotten a window today into the persecution that Assange has faced and what he's up against and why he's facing it because he has exposed the crimes um, and corruption of the world's most powerful country. And it's heartening to see that, you know, not just people in the US and in the UK, but people around the world. Because everybody has been impacted by the revelations that Assange has exposed and everybody will be impacted by the outcome of this case. Because if the U S is allowed to silence someone who has exposed its, its critics, uh, who who has exposed its crimes, that sends a message to future whistleblowers and future publishers of information. It It will be chilling. So it is a scary time to, and it's, It's hard even to think about what Assange has already been through, you know, through this past decade of being confined, demonized, smeared, thrown into um, torturous conditions. And it's hard to think about what comes next if the U.S. succeeds. But it's heartening that there are people fighting for him. And it leaves us just with no choice but to keep going and, and doubling down our efforts and it makes this next time that we're coming into, this hearing, the first part of it, and then the next part of it in May, it makes this time just so crucial and so pivotal to all the causes that all of us fight for.
1: Well, thank you very much. Very well said. Um, I want to get you back on this show and talk about Russiagate. You've been at the forefront of that. I know you won an award for your work uh, exposing uh, the chink in the armor of Russiagate, to say the least, uh, and uh, congratulations on that. You've been on that, and you've withstood uh, some attacks. Uh, I busted your chops a few times. I know that, <laughs> but uh, but uh, you uh, continue the good work, and uh, please come back and, or have me on your show. We're talking with Aaron it's Monte, who's been the um, guest co-host. I want to thank uh, Karine, uh, Karine Gonzalez, Karina. Karina, Karina, Karina. Mucho gusto, gracias por viniendo, uh, and uh, nos vemos pronto. Espero. Uh, and Chuck Slacken and Bernadette uh, Evangelist, uh, And uh, don't forget to show up, if you're in New York, on Monday at... 11 o'clock. 11 o'clock in front Randy, of the British Embassy.
3: Randy, can I say quickly, thank you for your steadfast advocacy for Assange. A lot of people, including former allies of his, have thrown him under the bus. People have succumbed to the demonization campaign against him. You have been steady and consistent in championing him championing someone who is your friend and also who is a hero to many people, and it is really, really appreciated. So thank you for all the work that you have done. Even when the media spotlight was not on Assange, you have been amplifying his voice and amplifying his case and and showing us just how harsh uh, he has been treated. So thank you for all you've done.
1: Well, uh, it's just doing my job here, you know, Uh, and I like the guy. I really... You know, I've been in that embassy three times, and I've been around him, and uh, Tanoma's a love him. He's really such a great individual, uh, you know, uh, the humanity inside this guy. All he wants to do, I mean, you take a look at what he's done, is to expose uh, these imperialist nations' crimes in these, like, uh, third world, second world countries, uh, countries, uh, poor countries, Iraq, Afghanistan, in Yemen, and... Uh, Honduras and uh, in, uh, in, in, in Africa I mean he is ultimate the ultimate um, anti-war journalist he really is like John Pilger is a great anti-war journalist uh, he is in his own way an anti-war uh, journalist and uh, he's, he cares about the kids and the civilians and on that note folks thank you Frank Frank McKay, uh, for uh, putting up with me all of these weeks. Uh, I'll be going to uh, London myself um, uh, on uh, the morrow. And I want to thank everybody for being here. I want to thank Anonymous Scandinavia once again. And this is nycpodcasting.com. If you're looking for a place to do a podcast, this is the place, nycpodcasting.com. Look them up and uh, come here. And uh, do your podcast. Everybody else has got a podcast. Why not come in and do your own <laughs> podcast, all right? Uh, and I think on that note, we'll uh, play this tune by Edwin Starr. This is the perfect tune to get out of here with.
4: Huh. Yeah. What is it good for? Absolutely nothing. Uh-huh. Say it again, y'all. Whoa! Who? Look out. What is it good for? Absolutely Now Listen to me. Oh, whoa! whoa.